I'm Jess. And I'm George. And this is Transpantastic, a podcast about gender, identity, orientation, and all the life that happens around it. Like navigation. Yeah, with or without the fancy hat. (laughs) When you were in the hospital in San Francisco for Mm -hmm. your surgeries, Mm -hmm. you met a very helpful person. Yes. Whose title with the hospital was... Gender Navigator. Which is kind of awesome. Yeah. (laughs) And they said they should have a fancy hat. Yeah. That person called you up the day before your surgery. Right. Way back in the spring. Mm -hmm. And said, hi, I'm the Gender Navigator. How can I help? And I was like, the what? (laughs) Let me stop walking and pull over where I can hear things. Because, you know, it's very noisy in the city. It is. And the fact that you had to stop walking and pull over makes me laugh. Well, I was walking through the tenderloin, so it was particularly noisy. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I had to find a spot where I could kind of shield the sound around me Mm -hmm. to hear them well, because I was distracted by the fact that they had a title of gender navigator, and obviously, and you've heard them speak, very queer. Yes. So I'm just like... Who is this very queer person calling me? And what an interesting title. And is this, this is real? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That is pretty cool. Although it sounds like they should have a map or something. A map. To to navigate. One typically uses a map. Do they have a map of the gender? I don't know. I didn't ask them that. You know, I think the gender map, if it had everything on it, would like have longitude and latitude and it would be topographic uh-huh. and have like all the markers, all the like really detailed maps have. Uh-huh. And so many people wouldn't be able to read all those because they can't read all the genders. Right. Yeah. Yes. And this is the thing that, you know, you'll see, you'll see memes go around sometimes that say some people think that a spectrum of gender or a spectrum of autism or a spectrum of whatever is like this. And it's like a a rainbow spectrum on a line. Mm -hmm. And no, you're right. It's like three dimensional. It's not even, you know, like a one dimensional line or a two dimensional surface map. Like you're right. It needs X, Y, and Z coordinates to be able to figure out where the hell you're at at any given time, longitude, latitude, and altitude. Which reminds me of the Husbands of River Song when Nardole transported them a few feet above the ground. Oh, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Most people, when they're trying to understand gender and only have like a binary understanding, end up a few feet above the ground on their map. They don't end up landing anywhere. No. So. Except maybe on their asses. Maybe. Anyhow, so I was very excited to talk to them. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking, oh, I'm heading up there. Maybe they're there and I could see this person because, you know, I was just quite so excited about it. Mm-hmm. And they were talking to me about, you know, that I was on the schedule for the next day. And at that point, they were fair, they were only so many months into their job there. And so they, and I had only been on the schedule for a couple of weeks. So who knows how long it took to get from the doctor's office to the gender navigator's awareness of me being on the schedule. Absolutely. So like no, no hard feelings about them only calling you the day before your surgery, right? Correct. Oh yeah, correct. So I talked to them for a few minutes. Mm-hmm on the side of the street there. And 
I think I think I probably sent you a text right after that saying what happened. I don't know that we talked about that much or not because you know in the meantime a lot of time has passed and a lot of anesthesia. <laughs> so yeah, who knows? But they did come the next morning in the hospital. They came before my surgery. Hmm. I think. Well, maybe that was the next time. See what I mean about the anesthesia? I do. Uh huh. Well, anyhow, at some point they I do remember seeing them in the intake or you know the place where they're plugging things into your body and putting fluids in and preparing to knock you out to cut you open. Yeah. I remember seeing them there once. And I also remember that, you know, they came up to the room and visited there a couple times. I got to meet them and their little dog that they carry around in a baby carrier. Yes. And I was so excited because we asked them if the window opened and they showed us how to open it. And I found that terribly exciting. And I've talked to them about it once since then. And they said they would have also found that very exciting because they also like to have fresh air. Right. When you're inside somewhere, especially after all the COVID restrictions and, you know, us, everybody having masks on and mm-hmm. and we had masks on. Yes. I, I didn't once I was in the hospital bed because I had so many other things going on. But if I was out of the hospital bed, I did. Yes. They still made you put on a face mask and they made us put on face masks to go in. Oh, did they? So they didn't know what they were requiring or not because I was drugged. Yes. The first time I went in, they made us wear face masks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they made Cousin Vinny wear face masks the second time you went Vinny in. Vinny always wears a face because mask. Because they so always wear one anyway. Yeah. There's no way of knowing. Right. If they already have one on, they're not going to be like, hey, you. Right. Good job putting your mask on. Yeah, they're not going to point that out. No. No. But anyway. Yeah. But the gender navigator always has their mask on. And I would too if my job was running around inside a hospital. Of course, I do so many places that I go still because if you're going inside, especially now that it's fall, you're taking a risk mm-hmm. that the other people have germs that they're very willing to share. Yes. Yeah. Even with all my current vaccinations. But anyhow, back to the gender navigating. Yes. Which is much more interesting topic. Oh, by far. Yeah. So it was it was helpful to see them, you know, come and visit me in my room and, you know, when I was downstairs getting ready and the various times I, I, I've seen them, which is probably at least half a dozen times because I was there three days the first time. Yep. And they would come and, and see you once a day if they could. Mm-hmm. Uh Merely for the fact that they're very, very queer and they're the gender navigator. So, like, you have all these nurses and various hospital people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're queer, so we know that they aren't. Yeah. We just know. It's sort of like when you've talked about going to your sister's house and you're like, okay, I am the one queer surrounded by all the straight people and it just feels weird. Even if nobody's even making a problem about it, it just feels feels weird. It does. And so for you to be in the hospital with all the straight ladies and all the nurses and doctors and and your surgeon is a trans woman, mm-hmm. but she's only there like for the actual surgery. She doesn't come and check on you. She sends like the nurses and the She has the MAs for doctors that. and yeah. yeah. MAs and PAs for that. Yep. Yeah. And so she's got all these other people and everybody who's actually engaged with your care outside of the actual surgery is pretty darn cishet. They seem to be. If there are some queers, they're really playing it low key. And I don't see why. I mean, they're working where there's a gender navigator. They could get help if they needed it. (laughs) So... The the environment feels very cishet. Yeah. And so even though you know that 
on a floor where you are recovering with a whole bunch of other trans folks who also had gender affirming surgeries. Yes. You also know that all the people who are in charge of your care and theirs are presenting a very cishet passable environment. Yes, and they're all very helpful, and they're all very aware that you're trans, which is not always true when you're in some medical setting somewhere. Like when you had sepsis and they said, put this ice pack on your scrotum. Yes, and here's the tube to pee into. And I'm like, nope. (laughs) I'm going to walk myself to the bathroom. Yep. The movement will be good for me, and I will have better aim in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was good to have that person who is coming in and seeing you on a daily basis who is very queer and bringing their whole queer self into that space. Yes. It's quite wonderful. It was nice. Yeah. So they emailed you a couple weeks ago. Right. They emailed me a couple weeks ago saying, hey, we're doing a annual impact report or one of those kind of, you know, report things that places like medical facilities do or other businesses. And I'm working on these questions to ask folks and I have to get, you know, I have to get them cleared through the lawyers to go ahead and ask people these things and find out what type of informed consent for people to sign, etc. But I wanted to reach out to you and see if you might participate because I think, you know, you've been here a couple times and the conversations we've had have made me think that you might be a helpful person to include in this feedback. If I work for a corporatized healthcare organization and I need to demonstrate that my program is worthy of continuing to receive money, I think your input is valuable. (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't realize until I was talking to them again the other day when they were following up. They had sent me the forms in another email and said, hey, can you talk on, you know, Mm -hmm. Fridays or whatever days that we've been able to talk on. And they said, because I told them one of the, one of the issues I had discussed with the surgeon about, you know, being able to get up and down safely has been worked out. You know, the surgeon's office has worked on it, the hospital has. And they, but they told me something I didn't know, which is I was one of the first and few F to M lower surgery people. Mm Mm-hmm that had been on that floor. So that's why, which I'm sure we talked about some months ago, the nurse said, you know, apologetically, I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to be doing because this is not what I'm used to. So let me find out when they had to check on my wounds and check on everything. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Isn't everybody on this floor having surgery? But apparently there's a lot of Vaginoplasties, Vaginoplasties, FFS, top surgeries. Yes. Yes. A lot of other surgeries. So if they're supposed to be checking your wounds and they don't know what your wounds are supposed to look like, they don't have any experience with what does a post-op first stage medical look like. Right. And they let me know that. They were very upfront about it. And I appreciated that because they, the, you know, they didn't leave me with the mystery of what's going on here. Right. Because you know something's going on. Mm-hmm. And you know it's about you and your gender. Yes. You know this. They understand that when something is wrong about you and your gender, it is occasionally a very dangerous situation. Yeah. And so if you know what's going on, you know what to be ready for. So if they're saying, hey, we're we're not sure about this, we're going to find out, mm-hmm. then at least I know, oh, they're not sure. I don't understand why they're not sure, but mm-hmm. at least I know they're working on it. Right. They want to make sure they're doing the right thing. And I know the next morning when I woke up, the MA was standing there. And she probably had been, you know, saying something to me to wake me up. Mm-hmm. I woke up and she was there with just like, all right, there you are. Let me check your wounds. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as I can tell, a f- 
a number of the MA and PAs and some folks in the office are also queer and some are not. And it's mine and Vinny's gauge that this person is not. Mm -hmm. This person is a cishet person, Mm -hmm. um, but just still had been very easy to deal with. Mm -hmm. That's good. And so she was just standing there like, okay, here we are. And let me check your wounds. And was so excited because my drains were clear and just was very happy about that. Oh, that's good. And I was happy that she was happy. (laughs) And then off she went. And the nurses were a little bit like, what do you mean the MA came in here and didn't talk to us? You know, so that kind of stuff, like, well, I don't know what to tell you that, you know, something for you guys to figure out. Right. Uh, I just know that the MA was happy with my progress. So those are little things that I could then bring back to the gender navigator. And I could say, hey, did you know uh, these things about interactions in, in the hospital here? Mm-hmm. And they could say, oh, yes, I did know about the staff not being aware of how to get male patients with lower surgery out of bed and they have worked on that, you know, and then other things like the communication, um, anything at all that I had on my mind that had to do with gender, I could talk to the gender navigator about Mm -hmm. and say, this is maybe not a thing, but here's what my experience was. Right. And because it relates to me being in the hospital for a gender affirming surgery, they are interested to know what happened. Yes. To see what can we do better, no no matter if it wasn't done wrong, but could be better. Mm -hmm. What is that thing? Right. And so... uh, um, that's a, a little bit of what their their um, survey or report is going to be about. And so we had a very nice uh, conversation the other day about those particular questions that they had. Should we talk about the questions? What should we do yeah. here? Yeah, we could pull up the questions. And some of those things were, like you said, elements of what can we be doing differently Mm -hmm. so that they can provide better care continuing with this program. Mm -hmm. And other things were, what do our stakeholders need to know about this program so that they will consider it valuable? Right. So the first question that they asked was, what memories stand out when you reflect on your time at which we've already kind of discussed. Right. And that was the element of like, oh, well, I remember this was good and this was nice and this was hard and this was a good fix for and this didn't get fixed. And these are the elements that they're looking for to be able to improve their program. Right. Or to continue Mm -hmm. doing. And then the second question was, how has gender affirming surgery impacted your life? The first thing I think of is how has it not (laughs) impacted my life? And of course, currently, it's been my whole year trying to get it and getting it, then trying to recover from it, then doing it again, then trying to recover from it again. And And then doing it again. Trying to do it again. (laughs) So basically, it's still impacting my life. But how is it impacting my life? I definitely, I could easily say to to the gender navigator and pretty much anybody who wanted to hear it, that every time I've done something for my transition, I've thought, why didn't I do this sooner? Every single thing. And we, we talked, they and I talked a lot about how we have spent so much time trying to contain this part of ourselves that it's hard to dig it basically out of the crevices of where we've stuffed it to recognize what we need need. Yeah. And so I'm I'm very happy with it. And I, you know, I don't have anything like I, I picked the easiest surgery because it was supposed to be easy. Hmm. 
and still... It probably still is way easier than the other options would have been. It is way easier than many of the other options, but... And I did that in part because of my age and in part because uh, what I was... What I'm willing to go through Mm -hmm. um, at this stage in my life, not just age, but stage in my life of Mm -hmm. how much time I want to spend on which result I want to get. So I feel every time I do something for my transition, I feel more like myself than I ever did before. Yes. And that is amazing. That's great. Yeah. Even without being able to sit for like four months, four and a half months, Mm -hmm. five months, I don't know. I try not to remember. Uh, but, and during that time, it was less obvious the benefits of it because there were still so many problems to solve. Yeah. And at least a few of them were still very painful. I still really appreciate having the ability to address these things for my gender affirmation, my, um, my self care, my well being. Becoming more of yourself. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure kind of like the rest of my transition has been where more things are discovered along the way. And I think that's, you know, this is often why folks, as they step into medical transition or any part of their transition, find that it often uncovers other things mm-hmm. because we do have so many of them just pushed into, like I said, crevices of ourself of trying to keep them managed. Mm-hmm. Because there was no way to address them yeah, before. Absolutely. And some, in some ways, for many people, there is still not, especially for non-binary people. Mm. There are a few places to be and not have lots of worries about safety math the whole time. Right. So I'm sure there'll be more to discover, especially as I get through the next stage of surgery and hopefully don't need repairs and can then like get settled into a different year of my life where I can discover what it's like to have had surgery and recovered from all of it. Actually get back to the the living of your life. Yeah, not just the surviving of it, surviving through recovery and trying to do all the things that we do here mm-hmm. while we're doing that. Yeah. And- And that brings to my mind the point that like, you know, some people would say, why would you do all this if it's so hard? Why would you, you know, uh, if you're going to have to work on like getting all of this cobbled together childcare, and why are you, you know, leaving all of these responsibilities behind? And why are you doing this and doing that, you know, to do something wholly for yourself? And the answer is because it's fucking necessary. Yeah. It's worth the time, the effort. It's worth the sacrifice. It's worth cobbling together all of the childcare. It's worth parenting from a distance. It's worth, you know, all of the figuring out how to sit for months on end. It's worth, you know. Oh, it's so worth all those things. All of the excess and all of the time and energy that we have, you know, asked of our friends and family, all of the effort and energy and adjustments that have been necessary to make this happen have been necessary. You know, because I'm a picture thinker, and the picture came to my mind, as you were saying, because it's necessary, I was thinking of... Oh, we were watching something. Loki, Lower Decks. It uh, was Lower Decks 
And and remember the other week where they had that, as they'd get closer to get the crystal thing, they'd turn old and that one guy already had a broken leg and it was stick, his bone was sticking out mm-hmm. and he still had to like do the thing. Mm-hmm. Needing gender affirming care is like that. It's like if you had a broken leg and the bone sticking out and maybe you're going to live anyway, maybe it's going to heal badly and be painful and be a problem your whole life, but wouldn't it be a good idea to get it fixed? Yes. And to me, gender affirming care is that simple of a comparison. And just because everybody else can't see your broken leg or your broken gender problem Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's not there. Right. But you know it's there and you should be able to fix that mm-hmm. if that's what you need. Right. And cer- I mean, certainly gender is a weird thing and we wonder why do we have to have all this gendery stuff and at the same time we have we have it. Mm-hmm. It's there to deal with and in order to deal with it better, many folks benefit from have, you know, having those changes, mm-hmm. ability to, to have those changes. Yes. So... So the next question that the gender navigator asked you was, is there anything you wish were more widely known or understood about the needs and challenges of people seeking gender affirming care? I think that's the hardest one because the people who need to know are so hard to talk to. I, I get stuck on the how would you how would you get through to them and I think the thing I just said about the the broken leg I mean I would ask so many of those people did you ever have to work really hard to get medical care for yourself or someone else in your family mm-hmm. even a prescription mm-hmm. to get through your insurance right did you need it why did you need it did did everybody think so if everybody didn't think you needed it what did you have to do to get it right what would you do? to take care of your health, how far would you go to take care of your health? Most people would say, I'd do anything I had to. It reminds me of your friend back east who's dealing with post-operative complications from her hysterectomy and Mm. how the doctors are saying, you really need this level of post-operative care. And the insurance is saying, we're not willing to give you that level of post-operative care until you've exhausted these other levels that lead up to it that are less intensive to demonstrate that you really do need the higher level of care. Even though all the medical all personnel the are saying say, these other levels won't work, we need to go to this mm-hmm. top level. Yeah. Yeah. Because <sighs> the professionals can say, oh, you really do need this. But because corporatized medicine, <clears throat> yeah, try and save a buck, they're going to end up spending more in the long run. They will. But she has that problematic diagnosis of woman. And so, even more than that, she has a problematic diagnosis of fat. I'm not sure which one is more. If she was a man and fat, she'd still be okay. Okay, that's true. But she's also very big. And I don't say that in any sort of judgment. Oh, she knows it. But that in and of itself, men who are that big do get problems. They do get problems. When they try and access Not care. as many as women. True. Yeah. True. But they're also, you know, they are just as likely at that point. Well, not just as likely. I should say. They are no less likely because of their size to be perceived as dishonest, dumb, and noncompliant. Yes. Yep. 
And I say this as a fat person. Yeah, I think of that meme that you sent one time because there's always a meme. <laughs> but that uh, was like, doctors don't listen to women because women are hysterical and women. And the other person said, that's not fair. Sometimes I diagnose you as fat. <laughs> so <laughs> It's true. Yeah. So yeah, just because somebody can't understand it doesn't mean it's not there. And, and helping them understand what they're not seeing is the hard part. Yeah, because for someone who has no experience of, I need this to feel like myself. Yep. Anyone else who's dealing with, okay, but what's that going to do to me? What's that going to cost me money or raise my insurance premium or take up hospital beds or, 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 or. Right. And and it has been or determined- Or just make me uncomfortable. <laughs> that's the real problem because it's not. It's proven not to take up more of anything else true. than other problems that are caused by not having self-care. Mm-hmm. Make make them uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. So I I'm sure there's a lot of things they they would benefit from knowing if we could get them to know that those things. Yeah. No kidding. So there's our happy little rant. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking of um some people do want to understand things and they know they don't understand them. Remember that that uh one of the therapists was at some breakfast or lunch thing that we were having at work and had said to me she was really trying to understand what it was like for me to feel the way I did. And I was like, well, think about if you were sitting here feeling just like you are feeling, but you were in a man's body. And it took her a lot of work to try to even even a little bit wrap her head around that. Mm-hmm. I said, it would feel wrong to you because you feel exactly like you do now, but you'd be in a completely different body. Mm-hmm. And your brain would be saying, this is not me. Mm-hmm. And so she really, like, it was str- a stretch for her. I don't think she could get all the way there, but, you know, I was just trying to answer the question at the time. Right. I'm sure lots of discussions and lots of gendery discussions mm-hmm. in other microphones have talked about this right. as well. So they're probably way more, there's lots of answers. But this is your experience because yeah. that's what we have to talk about. That's that's my experience. So so what's gendery about all that? Oh, no, sorry. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I. There's nothing not gendery about it. So you go back after Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. after American Thanksgiving, for your what we hope will be your last stage of surgery. Yes. Sending all the good energies, all the positive vibes, all the prayers, tots and pears. <laughs> <laughs> any uh, any positivity for your upcoming surgery that it doesn't need revisions after again. Yeah, or cause any other types of problems that we can't think of yet. Oh my gosh. Because that's always <laughs> the way of it. It's always a problem we didn't think of is the one that crops up. Yeah, if somebody had said to me, oh, guess what? You might not be able to sit for three months because one little wound won't close. I would have been like, what? Mm-hmm. How is that possible? Uh, because vaginectomies are hard to do right. <laughs> well, and even when they are uh, done right, if they get a torn area getting out of bed wrong. Oh my God. Then it's harder to get a wound to close. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything else about that before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think that's it. We'd love to hear from you. So let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. 
We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less than complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeti. Good, because I can't see that far. Hi. Hi. Can you see this far? Yes, I can. Oh, good. You're cute. <laughs> You're cute. I know you are, but what am I? It takes one to know one, remember? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> are we ready? Sure. Okay. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm George. Right. Back in March. Back well, in so March. it wasn't even March yet because surgery was March. So, well, anyhow, we don't. They called you the day before your. Was that the first time they called you? Was the day before your surgery though? Mm-hmm. So that was actually very, very early in March because your surgery. No, your surgery was okay. Yes, they called you the last day of February. Yes, they did. But okay, we don't have to. Yeah, I'm gonna we don't have that. to do all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're just confusing ourselves as usual. Well. <laughs> You could leave it there for a good example of how we communicate. (laughs) It'll be in the bloopers. Don't worry. Okay. This person called you the day before your surgery. So the next question that the gender navigator asked you was, excuse me.